evening and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, broadcasting live from Harlem, USA on Wednesday, March 23rd, 2016. Have you ever thought about neurobiology and attachment in terms of finding your dream date or attachment? Well, we've got a guest on tonight. He wrote a book called Wired for Dating. His name is Stan Tatkin. And he is a, uh, a PSYD and an MFT, and he's going to talk to us about his book, Wired for Dating, which is Practical Tools and Real-Life Advice for Dating Smart. And uh, he's going to be calling in in a few minutes, and uh, we'll bring him on, and we'll get into the whole subject of ways that we can, uh, well, actually, he talks a little bit about 10 scientific principles that can be used to avoid triggering fear and panic in people's partners, managing partners' emotional reactions when they get upset, and recognizing when the brain's threat response is hindering their ability to act in a loving way, kind of switching us from the quote-unquote warring brain to a loving brain. So uh, a little bit of a different, a different uh, angle in terms of how we talk about dating. And uh, as soon as Stan calls in, we will... Bring him right on the show. In the interim, uh, let's talk about what's going on out there. So we've got daylight saving time here in uh, the East Coast and everywhere else. And uh, it's nice that uh, it's light out. It's still 7 o'clock and it's still light out. We've got uh, Good Friday and then Easter this week, uh, Sunday, Easter Sunday coming up. And the forecast is I think it's going to be in the 50s or so. So we'll see how that works out. I wish everybody who celebrates Easter to have a good one. A lot of people are off on Good Friday. And then we've got all kinds of sports stuff going on in the guys, guys world, if you will, because we've got the baseball preseason exhibition games are wrapping up soon. And right now, this weekend, we've got the Sweet 16 in the NCAAs. I know my alma mater, Villanova, plays Miami, a tough Miami team tomorrow night. So we'll see how they do. Uh, good luck to everybody who's got a team in the hunt there. I know a lot of the pools were blown up when some of the uh, teams like Michigan State lost. Uh, election news, we've got, uh, you know, each week there's a, like a Super Tuesday every week, it seems like. And uh, with uh, similar results, Bernie Sanders is hanging in there versus Hillary. But the super delegates uh, are not helping him. And then on the other side, we've got uh, Donald Trump and Ted Cruz and Dennis Kasich Kasich, still kind of duking it out. And the big question is if Trump gets to the the, the meeting in the summer, the convention, (laughs) this slipped my mind, and he doesn't have the 1,237 votes, what's going to happen? And, you know, there is a process, and there are laws, and there are rules. So he'll just have to live with it. We'll see if he'll put up with that, and his uh, followers will be able to put up with that. And you know what? Anything could happen. So we'll see. Um, this whole, you know, the Guys Guys movement started with my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love. And we've, we've covered a lot of uh, relationship angles uh, on Guys Guys Radio. And we took we went from the novel to Guys Guys Radio and also my blog at robertmanny.com. I do a weekly blog. And we, we've explored relationship angles, and we still explore them, but also we uh, get into wellness and uh, some metaphysical 
concepts. And this week, our blog, which is coming out tomorrow, is about when the, when the going gets tough. And I delve into how we deal with things uh, when you have a whole bunch of stuff that happens to you uh, that looks really bad at the same time. We've all been through it. And it's a real test. And usually what we find is that, you know, when you come out the other end of suffering, you're in a better place. So I hope you'll check that out. It's my website, robertmanny.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Robert Manny, Facebook, Robert Manny Author, YouTube, Robert Manny Author, and all of our Guys Guys Radio, all 182 podcasts are on both Blog Talk Radio, where I'm a featured host, as well as iTunes. So you can subscribe. They automatically get downloaded each podcast to your to your phone or your computer, and you can listen whenever you want. So I hope you check that out. And of course, the whole guys guys movement started with my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, which features two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. It's been called the male sex in the city. You'd be doing me a great favor if you could pick up a copy of the book. Uh, just go to Amazon; it's probably the easiest place to find it now because it's a couple of years old, but. It's a lot of fun. It's gotten great reviews. And uh, it's kind of led to this whole guys, guys movement where our credo is when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. Better men, better world. And with that in mind, we've had a lot of uh, on the show, we've had a lot of dating experts. And uh, uh, every, every, everybody has a different angle on it. And it seems like from the people I've talked to that in terms of dating itself, although, you know, technology has sped things up. Now we've got Tinder and Bumble and things like that uh, before it was just match, but everything digitally has uh, increased the pace of dating. But is technology a gift or is it a curse? Well, it could be either depending on how you handle it. I mean, eventually I think what's happening with a lot of millennials and we'll talk to Dr. Uh, Tatkin on this about this in a few minutes, but I think what a lot of millennials are experiencing is that, you know, you spend so much time texting, texting or on apps to meet people that it gets tougher once you meet somebody. And eventually you have to meet in person. And I don't know if the social skills are quite as crisp and sharp as the boomers or the Gen Xers where, you know, it was, hey, my name's Luke and I buy you a drink. You really had to be more one-on-one, -on -one, offline, approachable. And uh, now, you know, uh, that's not the case as much because you get on the subway or walk down the street. Everybody got, has their earbuds in. Uh, nobody's talking to each other or even looking at each other here in New York, at least. And uh, then when people go out in New York, it's different than a lot of other cities. Like you go to Chicago and you go to a bar and there's all different types of people. And they're all kind of in the same bar. You've got jocks, you've got boomers, you've got Gen X, you've got millennials, you've got hipsters. And they're all kind of hanging out together. And when you go to New York, it's usually the bars are like one type of person. I mean, of course, there's a bunch of different individuals within that, but you don't have as great a cross-section on a per-location basis. And it's something I've noticed from my business travels over the year. That, and New Yorkers also, when they go out, they go out in a group and they kind of like get in a circle and they talk to each other. It's not that easy to break through. So I guess that's why digital technology has uh, become such an important arrow in the love dating quiver. I guess, but you really have to, you know, my advice is you really have to make things happen in the offline, the real world, so to speak. So uh, let's talk a little bit about my guest. I'll bring him on in a moment here. Uh, let me give you his bio. Very interesting guy, Dr. Stan Tatkin. He's a PSYD and an MFT. 
He's the author of Wired for Love, Your Brain on Love, and Love and War in Intimate Relationships. So he's got a bunch of books. He has a clinical practice in Southern California. He teaches at Kaiser Permanente and is an assistant clinical professor at UCLA. He's developed a psychobiological approach to couple therapy called PACT, and it's copyrighted. And together with his, uh, he's got a registered trademark, I believe, on that. And together with his wife, Tracy Boldman Tatkin founded the PACT Institute. So this book, Wired for Dating, uses real-life scenarios, teaches you key concepts about how people become attracted to potential partners, how they move toward or away from commitment, and the important role the brain and nervous system play in this process. Every chapter explores scientific concepts of attachment theory, arousal regulation, and neuroscience. And here you just thought it was buying somebody a Mai Tai and seeing if you can get her back to her place. So anyhow, let's uh, bring our, my guest right now, Dr. Stan Tatkin, and see what he has to say to us. Good evening, Dr. Hey, Stan. Robert, how, how are you? you? I'm great. Good, Robert. How are you? Good. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, and thank you for this uh, very interesting book. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about you, and then we'll get right into the book. But uh, how did you get inspired? You know, being a couples therapist is a very interesting practice. Kind of what – was that something you had set out to be originally, or is it something you kind of uh, uh, pivoted into? It's something I pivoted into. Actually, prior to that, I was working in the prevention field, working with mother and father infant and infant pairs. And I was interested in working with prevention to see if I could prevent mental illness. And that, um, that actually did pivot into working with adult uh, pair bonding. And I found that there is a, a, a remarkable similarity between infant attachment and successful partnering in adulthood. So... I took those skills and I applied them to uh, to the adult romantic relationship. And this uh, PACT, the PACT approach you developed for couples therapy, uh, it's it's obviously very unique. Uh, tell us a little bit about it, uh, this approach, why it's so effective, and what have therapists' reactions been to with the institute training program on it. It is a, um, a, a polytheoretical approach, nonlinear approach, which makes it kind of complex because we're not just dealing with psychological ideas. We're dealing with the body. We're dealing with faces and eyes and, and, and skin color and voice and movement in the body. We're dealing with, um, with developmental uh, issues having to do with social-emotional intelligence. So those who are PAC-trained have to understand the brain, have to understand how the arousal system works, understand medicines, understand uh, medical illness, and of course, understand early attachment. And uh, what inspired this particular book? You're writing this one. And how is this book? I, uh, date, it's, I mean, it's obviously different than other dating books, but tell us a little bit about, you know, what was the creative spark that said, I got to, I have got to write this book because, you know, when you look at it compared to, uh, a lot of other dating and relationship books, um, you know, how understanding neurobiology and attachment style can help you find your ideal mate. It's uh, it sounds a little more heavy duty than it is. And I don't mean that in a glib way. I mean, there's real substantive right. information in the book, but it sounds very uh, scientific, if you will, for something that's, you know, more uh, considered more of an art than a science. In the back end, it, there is science involved here. In the front end, not really. So the, the subtitle is a little misleading. That is the publisher's subtitle because I would <laughs> prefer the, enough, the ideal relationship. Um, 
there's a problem I'm, because I'm into prevention. There is a problem in our in our society in our culture having to do with true love and soulmates and how do you find a perfect mate and there's no emphasis on what the relationship itself ought to be. And we know that relationships, nature wants us to procreate, wants us to hook up, and that ship sails at a certain point, and then you're with that person who you pick by familiarity. That's how we pair bond, by recognition and familiarity. We don't pair bond with strangers. But the problem is that people continue to go into a relationship without having a roadmap, knowing what is this relationship supposed to be? Why are we doing this? What's the point? What do we do for each other? What are we going to do for each other? You couldn't hire somebody to do. And so it, it gets down to a real biological question of, is you know, if you are getting together for longer than just to have a child and to protect that child, um, what do you, what's the purpose? What's the point? And uh, from a biological point of view, you're supposed to be in the foxhole together. You're supposed to protect each other from the environment and from predators. That means that you tell each other everything. You're completely transparent. You have each other's back. You protect each other in public and private. And you know each other better than you know yourself. In other words, you have each other's owner's manual. Majority of people going into relationship are looking for a person. They're looking for something that will satisfy a need of their own. But they don't go into the relationship thinking about this relationship that is supposed to last a longer time than, uh, you know, than a one-night stand represents the, the smallest unit of a society. And as a society, what are the social justice rules or principles that we will live by? And nine out of ten of my couples that come to see me have actually no agreements at all. They don't think about it. So – I'm trying to prepare people not to look for the perfect person, but to, to prepare them, uh, themselves for what should the relationship be that is not just good for me, but is good for that person. It has to be mutual. Um, and that's how you weed people out, not by whether they're tall enough, whether they're cute enough, whether they have the same interests as you, because that's going to last for a good hot minute. It is, do you believe in the same ideals or principles that will protect both of you from the outside and from each other. And that's what the book is trying to redirect people toward. I hear children. I have a little son and he's outside the studio and uh, he just got a haircut. So he's running. So sorry. <laughs> he must, he must be very proud and excited about his new haircut. Yes. He, yes, he is. I have to uh, put a new, put a new door on for this, but anyhow, uh, thank you for mentioning that. Uh, and he hasn't had his nap today. So, but, uh, so with a, with a lot of couples then, what are the mistakes that people, you know, you know what, what they make when they, when they get into a relationship? Is it built on, uh, usually built on uh, physical attraction and, you know, the, the, the list or how much money somebody yeah. has and stuff like that? I mean, well, you, can make all, you make all the lists you want. Your body and your brain actually picks your partner, at least in the, in the beginning. So in the beginning, we're attracted to each other um, through recognition, and we are actually on drugs. We're on a cocktail that nature puts us on that allows us to jettison the relationship forward. Um, and that excitement, that exciting love keeps us coming back for more. We don't really know each other, but what think we know we really like and we want to get to know more and more and more that cocktail actually wears off after a certain amount of time and because we pick each other based on recognition things that i actually am also going to have a hard time with 
the question is, does this person actually fit with what I envision for a long-term relationship, not in terms of whether I'm infatuated with them? And that takes more of an adult approach of thinking about the future, thinking about you know, how, are, how are we going to live and by what principles are we going to live by? And people refuse to do this. They're almost allergic to this. And then they find themselves in the relationship and, and, and they may blame their picker. You know, I have a terrible picker, which is actually not true. So we want people to enjoy the first part of that relationship but understand that that will end. And, the, you know, we have a brain that automates everything, and that person whose novel is going to be automated very soon, and we're driven by memory only. Um, so that is both a good thing and also a potential problem. When we are now automated, we take it and we stop paying attention. We stop being present, and now we make all sorts of errors because we're lining behaviors up with what our body remembers from the past, and these are everybody. So when people get together in this kind of relationship, they actually become proxies for everybody who came before. They are one degree of everyone uh, in their life, and that, that means that they're going to act and react to each other very quickly, and if they don't pay attention, if they don't understand each other, if they're not experts on each other, they're... Uh, and so we want to prepare people. We want them to understand that all people are difficult. <laughs> there is no such thing as a low-maintenance person. Everybody's a pain in the butt, including you, and, uh, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, but we don't want to be threatening. We don't want to be dangerous to our partner, and it's extremely easy for us to do that without even intending to do it because we are animals who have to survive, and that gets into the whole psychobiology thing here. Now, uh, you've mentioned some myths when you have this, you know, well, first of all, tell us a little bit how you kind of uh, carved up the book. How do you kind of uh, lay it out for the reader? I know it starts with before before you date, but take us through your thought process in terms of laying this out for a template for the reader. Um, We believe that relationships, in order for them to last, uh, they have to be based on what's something called secure functioning, meaning this is person system that's based on mutuality and collaboration. Um, these are two generals, the top of the roof, you know, the, uh, the top of the food chain, um, and they are answerable to each other. If the relationship isn't based enough on fairness, justice, and sensitivity, it will fail because um, that is exactly many times the childhoods that we come from, where the relationship was too unfair, too unjust, too insensitive too much of the time. If partners do not go into this understanding that this has to be a collaboration, like I said, having each other's backs, protecting each other in public and private, being the first to know the go-to people, they're going to accrue um, a deep sense of resentment and, in many cases, threat. We want to offset that by setting the stage first of what, what is the only kind of relationship that can last, and that's one that is secure functioning. Any other kind of relationship is doomed. If not now, then very soon. So we want people to understand what they're actually shooting for and then start to understand how to vet partners, how to suss people out, and how to be with people that are new so that you're not overly self-conscious and you're not paying only attention to your own thoughts and feelings and, 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 and anxiety, but you're actually paying attention. We call it Sherlocking. We want people to learn how to look and, and pay attention to the smallest details on faces, um, on, on body tells, 
basically want people to be investigators without acting like one so that you're actually paying attention to each other. That's, that's, it has to end that way um, where you continue to pay attention and be present with your partner, starting with the first date. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. I think it's you're right on. I remember after going out my what with my now wife three times, I was having a great time, and I said to her, hey, "What do I have to do to be a good boyfriend?" And she said, "Pay attention." And uh, I said, "Anything go. else?" And she said, "No." And that was it. And I started paying attention. Of course, like any guy, I have to continue continually work on it. But you also say, you know, never stop dating. So I guess I'm I'm on a halfway decent path path. Now, you talk about yeah. the couple bubble. What's that all about? Right. The couple bubble is an attitude, an agreement that you and I, um, you and I have to make agreements because nobody else really cares about our well-being. They may act like it, and they, but when the chips are down, it's you and me. Our parents are too old. They've done their job. Our kids, we're not, they're not supposed to take care of us. Our friends are interested unless they have their own troubles. It's you and I, and we do these things. We, we take each other on as burdens because we can and because nobody else will. That's, that's why we get – so the couple bubble basically is our terrarium. It's our ecosystem. It's the air we breathe, the water we drink, and we are careful not to screw that up. We don't threaten the relationship because that puts us into turmoil, and it makes us use resources that would otherwise be used for life. Right? What is the purpose of two people getting together if not to take uh, existential fears off the table and to give each other absolute assurances of safety and security? Otherwise, again, what's the point? If you're going to be insecure in that relationship because you're not agreeing to this, then why not just get a, a Rottweiler to bite you? Why not just get a dog? Why not just do something else? So people have to understand the actual purpose of being together with another person. Cop car partners understand this because they have to protect each other from the outside dangerous world. They tell each other everything. They share things with each other. People in the Navy SEALs do this. They're, they're told that it's not just your muscle. It is your devotion to your team, that you care more about your partner getting hurt than you, and this is actually how people function. Um, but the, the culture uh, insists on it, and so people then do it. We don't have that in our culture. We don't have in our culture the idea that, you know, bombs could be raining down on you today like it happens in other countries. If that's happening, are you really going to be asking yourself, am I with my soulmate? No, you're not. You're going to be busy covering each other's ass. So um, I want people to start from that place. The basic purpose of a companion, whether it's a best friend or your lover, is together and that's no small thing and taking things off the table that would spook you scare you not let you sleep at night helps you to thrive and most couples are not doing this so we have a lot of messages in the culture things like you got to love yourself before you love another developmentally we know that's impossible a baby doesn't come out you don't say well baby you love yourself and then i'll love you right um <laughs> you, you got to know yourself before you can be in a relationship well that's you know, bull, because how do you know yourself except when in a relationship? That's how you know yourself. It is not done in a cave. So these are all things that are done simultaneous, simultaneously with another person. And we have messaging coming from ideas about, you know, uh, uh, sexual liberation and separate, all the things that are very good autonomy. But we've gone a little too far to this idea that 
um, we should be autonomous beings, but we are not uh, in, on a DNA level. We are not that. We are herd animals that pair bond, and we'll always be herd animals that pair bond. And if we don't do that, we become actually not as well functioning. So we're, you know, my wife and I and a lot of other uh, couple experts are really joining together and trying to change the messaging and the culture. It's no easy feat. Mm-hmm. So your book, Wired for Dating, is it more for, or could be obviously for both, people who are not dating right now and want to do dating the right way, or is it for yes. couples who are, you know, want to get back to the essence of why they're together and make it work? Well, well absolutely it's good for that. And Wired for Love is basically about secure functioning with people who are already together. But the same principles are in Wired for Dating, except focused on people, young and old, who are actually looking and are interested, not in just fans, but are interested in something longer term. And you mentioned something I thought was really important about what's happening right now with technology. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with technology. It's great. But um, it is much, much easier to go on things that are false information like one's face or one's body or one's age. And the swiping left and right becomes very much like a slot machine. Itself can be kind of addictive. And that is not the same thing as being face-to-face, eye-to-eye with somebody. Um, and so the danger of that is that it, it itself can be very engaging and we can really just love swiping left or swiping right, and that's all we do. The other thing is that we're supposed to perseverate over somebody when we meet them. Nature has built in a mechanism that makes us anxious after we meet somebody that we like. We're supposed to think about them afterwards, wonder, oh, my God, should I call? Is it too soon? Should I do this? Should I do that? That's nature's way of keeping us um, connected to that person who would otherwise be forgotten. With the way technology is right now, it's very easy to just pick up somebody and forget them. And it's given rise to a phenomenon called ghosting, where people just disappear, right? Yep. It's no big deal. I don't know you. Mm-hmm. I don't know you. Yeah. Um, and so that's painful, right? That used to not happen, not like that, where you get in contact with somebody and suddenly disappear and you never hear from them again. But when there's all these faces and all these names and all these things, it's quite easy to, uh, to who cares, right? And there's just another person. So there is a little bit of a problem there in terms of what it could do for some people that would get um, them um, – keep them out of a relationship. So uh, starting out, somebody wants to embark on dating. Let's say they've been in a long-term relationship and now they're, they're, they're available and they've taken a few months to kind of pull themselves together and they feel they're ready to get out there. They read your book. What do they need to do? What are the steps? Well, I think the first thing is um, hopefully the person that you're going to meet is someone that is is appropriate, someone worth meeting, and that people can decide for themselves. And when you meet with that person, there is an important uh, way to to be that makes it not like having needles in your eyes, and that is relaxing the body and pouring all of your attention on the other person's face, their hands, their eyes, their eyebrows, their hair. The reason you do that is because, first of all, you're picking up important information. Secondly, the person feels like they're being attended to. And thirdly, you're not in your own head worrying about how you're coming off. In this way, it really doesn't matter if this person is someone you're not going to see again. 
you are building interpersonal skills for meeting people anyway, and that should be a pleasure. It shouldn't be something that's terribly painful. So we're setting people up on how to do that and how to get out of being self-conscious and overly anxious and not have this be like having teeth drilled. So that's, right, talk, that's one part, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit, The kind of because you mentioned the, also the kind of the pregame jitters. I would think for a lot of people, and that, this is not a criticism by any means, that you know, this is a new approach. And when they meet somebody, they're going to be nervous to begin with. Cause you know, if you're interested in somebody, a lot of people get butterflies from that, but then they start to, they say, okay, I have to do something that I, I'm going to have to do it in a way that I'm not used to. So they're paying all this attention to, you know, somebody's eyebrows or their hands or whatever. H- how do you kind of coach them through that? What are the things that they're looking for when they're doing this studying, if you will, of, of the other person? to pick up different signals. Right. When, when you're paying attention and by simply with your eyes, because we're visual animals, when you pay attention mm-hmm. with your eyes and allow the eyes to move and scan, um, you're not actually looking for anything. Your brain will pick up things that are significant to you. So it's not like I'm investigating you. You're under the light. You know, where were you mm-hmm. Thursday night? Right. This is not that because that's off-putting. I'm simply noticing. I'm looking at details, and I can't do two things at once. I can't be overly anxious and worry about myself if I'm attending to a visual palette. My eyes are painting you. I'm noticing everything. I'm picking everything up. That offsets the self-consciousness because it interrupts the part of the okay, brain that it. actually works. Right? Okay. So what are they? So what are you? What do you tell you. the folks to look for? What are they? What should they be looking for? Details, what are details, some of the things? Details. Like, for instance, um, what are some telltale okay, signs? How people move, how people talk, when they tighten their face, when their pupils uh, dilate, when they constrict. Um, do they tilt their head? Does their face freeze? Um, do they look down? Do their eyes avert, right? Um, do, they, uh, do they talk, and this is on the speaking side, do they talk in such a way that, doesn't, that feels like they're not really being forthcoming? Does it feel like they're talking to you or at you? Um, do they treat people around them um, in a way that, that's a turnoff, like waiters or waitresses? Mm-hmm. Um, you're basically paying attention. You're not looking critically. You're not asking you know, uh, 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 intrusive questions. You're just paying attention. And that's actually what your wife said. That's what people really want. I just want to feel like you're noticing. So this is really the art of being present. I, if I'm looking and I'm scanning, mm-hmm. uh, it puts me in the present moment. And what happens is we too often go off into our heads and then we leave that person. And they don't know why we've left. They are going to assume it's not good. Um, <sighs> you know, our, <laughs> go ahead. No, how about uh, energy? Uh, because uh, there's a lot of visual cues, and I agree with you completely. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, vibing with somebody is a big part of it. Because, you know, when you're dealing with sexual attraction or physical attraction and even romantic attraction, you know, part of it isn't just uh, left brain, if you will. Uh, how do you kind of factor in the, when, the way somebody makes you feel? I think that happens naturally when you're relaxed. I think when people are unrelaxed, several things happen. So if I start to think about myself, if I get performance anxiety, it uses a part of my brain that shrinks working memory. Working memory is important for muscle movement and for fine muscle movement and coordination. 
if I am overly thinking with this part of the brain, I start to move in a jerky way. I, I may spill wine. I may uh, stumble on my words. In other words, it's I'm interfering. Uh, I'm using too many resources for worrying, thinking, and trying to uh, trying to strategize. Just being there, just paying paying attention. Your body will do it. Your brain will pick up things that are oh oh or yeah. Um, you know, but you have to relax your muscles. You relax your muscles and you focus outward. This is something that we're not taught to do. You know, if those in your audience that are meditators, instead of insight meditation, we're practicing outside meditation. We're relaxing our body, but we are staying present so our eyes don't go out, so we don't start to move in a jerky way, mm-hmm. so we don't start to get in our own way. It's very easy to do if we're not understanding how the brain works. We relax your muscles, focus your attention, and everything else will follow. I don't think you have to really do much. Now, uh, I would think that women are pretty good at paying attention uh, already and because they notice things, the smallest details about uh, the people they're dating, you know, and, and the things that attract them are sometimes, you know, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis has long fingers. I remember I dated somebody and she was crazy about him because he had really long fingers or something, and stuff like that, where guys are more, you know, is she hot? Does she have a good build? Is she smart? Does she make me feel comfortable? Is she you know, sexually attractive, and then, then they get to know the person. But initially, they're not in the paying attention to the details type thing. So how do you kind of work with uh, – is there a difference in how you work with a male versus a female? No, they're the same. Um, we tend to think – we tend to do too much of this, uh, that the genders are that different. They're different, but they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're not that different. There are differences. But when it comes to – uh, meaning when it comes to whether I want to be with this person again, it's not simply because of their breasts or their long fingers. It is, do I feel comfortable with this person? Is this awkward? Um, are there too many moments that are misattuned where I begin to feel very nervous and I get hot under the collar? Um, we're basically auditioning each other, and we're going to be nervous. We're going to make mistakes, and we're going to also misappraise each other. That's a given. But the problem is not the attraction part of the body and so on. Mostly it is, um, do I like being with this person? Do I get the creeps? Do I feel edgy? Do I feel uncomfortable? Do I feel relieved when I leave? Um, these are things that are in behavior that are being picked up in the face and the body, things that you actually aren't knowing, but they're happening. And we can prove this by videotaping and slowing down the motion and even stop action, that we are animals that are acting and reacting faster than we can think. Real time is too fast. So there's no way to really know what we're doing at any given time. Most of the time we're making stuff up because we can't know. We're automatic. We're moving automatically. The best thing is to understand that and not get in the way, stay present and relaxed, and that works out. But it's not about long fingers, I'm telling you. That may be something that's nice, but I'm not going to be with someone who has short fingers or long fingers if I feel like, wow, this is really a bummer exactly. night. Right. How about now? Got it. Very, a very important idea. It, 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 is, it is much more than that, and a lot of it is not even conscious. How about? Oh, uh, did I lose you? No. Can you hear me? I'm here. I'm here, doctor. Are you there? We're here, so stay on the line. Hello. I do not hear you. Can you hear me now, doctor? I hear you. Speak. Okay, I'm here, so uh, I don't know what's going on, but hang in there because uh, I am on the line. Um, I'm going to send you a uh, 
Well, I'm, we're on the line. Well, I just lost you. So call, call back. Let me hit you up on Facebook. So we lost our guest, Dr. Stan. So let's, uh, let's get him back. Um, I'm going to just send him a note to call back. And uh, let's see if we can get him. So in the meantime, it's a, uh, fascinating what uh what he's been doing oh here he is here Doctor, yeah i'm here you, he, i guess Hi. we lost each other there i don't know what happened but um you, we heard I everything know where, you know really what did i say <laughs> well there was, was a the lot but, um, you, you finished you finished you, are, are you there i think was the last thing you said and then uh okay then good, you were okay. cut off so i'm glad i just shot you a note on facebook to have you call back and we'll clean all this up in post-production but um very interesting. Now you talk about vetting and I think it's really interesting and is, is it's, and it is, it sounds like you, you know, you want to expose the other person to your squad, if you will. So talk about the importance of this social vetting. Cause I think it's fascinating. Uh, it's not our picker. That's the problem. We actually pick correctly. We pick somebody that we recognize, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're appropriate for long-term. So that is not left up to us as much as it is to our social network. And that means our male and female friends, young, old, and it must be this way because our social network is part of our culture. We want to make sure that other people are sniffing out, not just our partner, but us together. But you have to ask them because they won't tell you, how are we together? Does it look fine? How do I look? Do I seem comfortable? Um, Do you like this person? And you have to be prepared for the answer because people who refuse to do this get into trouble, not all the time, but a lot. Um, That is because the part of me that chooses you, especially in the beginning, is chemically driven uh, uh, quite often and is not actually thinking in a bigger picture way. You have to fit into, and I have to fit into your cultural circle. Um, Otherwise, there's going to be trouble. And now this is nature. We used to do this all the time. And in other cultures and tribes, they do it all the time. We have been doing it less and less. And there are people who either don't have a social network or they don't want you coming anywhere near them or they already know they're not going to like you and they do it anyway and they ultimately get into trouble. So I think it is important to use your social network to vet a partner that you're considering for a long-term relationship. If you're just dating them, no, who cares? But if you're thinking right. of going further, um, you want to bring them around to your peeps or, you know, uh, or there are consequences. Okay. Uh, we're on Guys Guys Radio, and our special guest is Dr. Stan Tatkin. We're talking about his book, Wired for Dating. Um, so who are some of the – how does that process work? Uh, because it's, it's, it seems like this is something that's done ordinarily anyhow at a certain point. You know, if you're going out with somebody for a while, then you're going to trot them out in front of your friends. Maybe if you're a guy, you're going out with a woman for a couple of dates and it's going real well. You want to introduce her to some of your friends. Maybe you meet one of your buddies for a beer and then she comes along and then that connection is made. And then uh, at a certain point, you meet a fam- the family or you go on vacation right. together or whatever. But uh, how, how do you see, you know, to me, that's a process. I agree with you completely. That's a process that usually happens anyhow. What's the spin that you put on it to make it more effective? Well, the problem, but I just want to say, though, that it is actually a problem because it does not happen naturally most of the time. There are people who either don't have a social network, and that's troubling. 
and, mm-hmm. you know, because then sure. you can't, you can't right. be checked or rechecked. And then right. also people who don't, who don't, they just make their decision. They don't think they should have to do this. And, um, and that's, that's, that's not really taking into consideration that we all exist within larger concentric circles of relationship. Um, we're not islands, right? So we have to, we have to all fit together and if you're getting a thumbs down from people, you have to really start to wonder about that. Mm-hmm. You have to ask people, too, because people do this, but they don't ask anybody. You think your friend is going to tell you, you know, pal, you know, I, I don't think she's right for you because your friend is, fr- is afraid of losing you. So exactly. they'll tell you after you've broken up, but that's no good. So you actually have to actively say to them, I really do want to know. Please tell me. Um, and, and, uh, and you both do that for each other. Um, because it, it, it usually is going to turn out right, but you, this is the cross check um, because we are driven in the beginning of a relationship um, by some other force that wants us to procreate. It, it, nature does not care about long-term relationship. We do. And so that's where your social network comes in, right? Um, now, I just Got want it. to say one thing. There are people mm-hmm. who become friends, and then they, then they become lovers, okay? They become friends. They're friends, and they, uh, you and, and I feel really good with each other, but you know what? It's missing a spark, and this is another error that people will make because the spark that they're missing is one that comes from novelty, comes uh, from meeting a stranger. That can't be reenacted with a friend because mm-hmm. you know that person. They're already no. – they're no longer novel. So people should not be disappointed because we're not hot uh, for each other in the same way we would be if we didn't know each other. Being hot for each other also carries with it a lot of anxiety, so be careful what you wish for. Um, that is normal, and you, don't, you should not be expecting that you have this strong libidinal connection to each other. That is something that either develops in naturally or it, it, it will develop naturally, but it's not ever going to be the same as a strange person who you don't know who you are projecting onto because they're a mystery person. Yeah, that's, I think that's a great point. Um, you also talk about the importance of, uh, you know, dating is forever, whether it's a long-term couple or new couples. Um, and I think yeah, you're spot on with that, that you always have to have that dating mindset and not take people for granted. But tell us about how you uh, emulate that in your relationship. What's the best way to do that? Um, my wife and I consider each other boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, we're husband and wife, and that carries with it a certain role. Um, and a husband and wife, uh, you know, is not as sexy as girlfriend and boyfriend. And women mm-hmm. become mother and father, and that's definitely not sexy. So <laughs> if, you, if, if you think that you are, you know, you're becoming mother and father and you lose being girlfriend and boyfriend, um, you've now made a fatal mistake for your kids because your kids need you to be in love. They don't need you to, to uh, survive just to raise them nicely while you die on the vine. So there is a need for kids to feel their parents are in love and that they're taking good care of each other because if parents are happy, kids can do their job being kids. They don't have to take care of them. They don't have to worry about them. By the way, the same for everybody else that you, you trot out your partnership with in front of. Um, everyone, people, the world has always loved couples that are good. They're attracted to them, but the world does not like couples that don't get along or partners that throw each other under the bus or that are acting in ways that make people uncomfortable. So um, your girlfriend and boyfriend first, your husband and wife second, and your father and mother third, and you never lose the girlfriend and boyfriend. If people can just think of it that way, I think they'll get it. 
Now, when uh, just uh, when people were in long-term relationships or marriages, and then they have kids, and the you know the sex life starts to taper off a little bit, did, how, what do you, how do you counsel them uh, in terms of getting that spark, retrieving that spark, uh, with all of the work that they have to do between jobs and taking care of the kids and this and that, and like who has time for sex anymore? And everybody's tired. How do you, how do you? And I think that's a it happens everywhere. Uh, and people yeah. just like say whatever, and they just, you know, they they do something. They either do nothing, or they do something as a couple, or they do something outside the marriage. Whatever somebody needs, you know, needs to get met at, some, at a certain point. So how do you how do you address that very common issue? Well, because it's a common issue, it has many different uh, tendrils, right? It, it, there's so many different combinations and permutations of this problem. One of them is that people have this weird idea about sex. Um, sex has a purpose in the beginning, not just for intimacy, not just on an animal uh, uh, you know, bonding, imprinting, but also to have children. Um, but if you're a gay and lesbian, of course, it's not to have children. It's to imprint. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Once that imprinting is done... Um, you don't need to keep doing that over and over again. And so people get disappointed that I wish I could have the passion for you that I had when we were in the beginning. But that ship sailed a long time ago. The only way to have that in the beginning is to find another person or, God forbid, have dementia and you forget who you're with. Um, otherwise, you know that person, and that isn't going to happen again. However, love is up close. Lust is at a distance. People drop each other, they stop paying attention, they no longer see each other as novel, and they think they know each other, and that's when people get bored. Um, Eye-to-eye contact, gazing, spending time with each other, being present is what enlivens the brain, the part of our brain that actually livens up because, oh, this person is not exactly familiar, there's some strangeness in them, comes from paying attention. But we don't because we think we Mm -hmm. don't have to. And then we suffered the whole thing. Anything you don't attend to, you lose interest in it. Interest in. There's nothing magical about this. So the antidote to what we often call the automatic brain, the brain that's going to automate everything, is you, you not all the time, but sometimes you just are present. And being in the eyes, it has to be face-to-face, eye-to-eye. It cannot be on the phone, through texting. Uh, it has to be right there. It has to be close up because of the way our brain uh, operates in the way our eyes are made. This is what enlivens love. Love is up close. We always fall in love in the eyes with our babies, with our pets, with our partners. But if we don't do that, it ain't going to happen. Um, uh, we go inside. We think of the past. We have an image. Uh, we try to change things. Um, but being present, being there, scary for some, but that's also exciting. That's where you enliven each other. And then mm-hmm. novelty, building in novelty. Uh, you do things that change things that allow your brains to light up and then you focus on them jointly as sort of mana or food for your excitement. So you go to the Grand Canyon instead of just enjoying it yourself. You see it and you turn to each other in excitement. You go, God, I love you. This is so great. This is fantastic. This is how you perpetuate the addictive kind, the addictive aspect of love, exciting love, which is dopaminergic. It's through the eyes and it's through excitement, through novelty. Now, that does not mean that you go ahead and you start doing polyamory, which a lot of people turn to. Um, I don't have anything against that, but if you're not in a secure functioning relationship, my bet is it's going to fail. So we're still talking about how do you use the outside world to enliven each other, use your child, your dog, um, uh, the TV show you're watching, 
People don't do this because they're not oriented this way. By the way, people who saw this with their parents do it automatically, but most of us mm-hmm. didn't. And so um, we take things for granted, we do things automatically, and we drop the ball. And the ball is our partner. Okay. Uh, two quick questions, and then I'll, I'll ask you about your retreats, and uh, we'll give everybody the information. But what what's the biggest uh, mistake that you find that most people make uh, when they're dating uh, or in a, the early stages of a relationship, and what what can they do about it? Like, what's one bit of advice that you would give people that you notice? Like, I see this over and over again, and this is what they need to do. That they are not their, their attention is in the wrong place. They're looking for the person, not the relationship. What should this relationship be? Not just for me, but that other person. What mm-hmm. is fair? What is good for me and for that person? And I expect it. And if you're not game, um, see you later. That is the thing. If you, are, if you believe in something that is fair and just and mutual, collaborative and sensitive, you believe that's the way it ought to be since you are basically leaders, not only for your kids, but for the community. If you believe in that, that's what you're vetting. If you have somebody who says, well, you know what, I don't think that's really the way I want to go, that's a deal breaker, or it should be. But if you go, oh, my God, this may be the only person that has long fingers, and I love that, and, I, and what if I never find a long-fingered person again, and now I'm holding on to someone who does not meet the principles I need in order to survive and th- thrive this lifetime, um, I'm now a sucker because – that is a deal breaker. I should pass and look for someone who's willing to do that with me. The person I'm looking for does not have to be the epitome of, of mental health because I'm not. They don't have to be the perfect person because I'm not. They just have to be willing to play the game. If you're not going to play the same game that I want to play, the end. But so many people um, uh, are oriented differently. They get themselves sucked into a relationship that can never actually end well. And the reason they're doing that is because they're afraid of loss. And what I want to say to those people is that there has to be something more important than abandonment, and that is going forward and thinking about how life should be. This partnership is not something that is just given to you. It's not you know, handed down to you. It is something that two adults agree on. Mm-hmm. You and I are going to do these things for each other because we can, because we decided to, and because we know the consequences are bad for both of us. So we're going to tell each other everything because why not? I don't want to – if this is home, you and I, I don't want to spend resources having to think about what I'm going to say. I don't want to have to spend resources covering up whatever is true. I want to be myself. I want you to be yourself, and we'll fight if necessary, but we're not going to end the relationship. We are in for the long run. Now let's duke it out. The relationship, what is that? Envision it. What should it be for two people, not just for you? That's what you're looking for. If that person doesn't fit that, if they're saying, no, I don't think I'm up for that, I don't believe in monogamy, which is just fine, but that's a deal breaker. That should end that, and you go looking for the relationship. person is willing to play. The pay-to-play Got system. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your book is Wired for Dating, Dr. Stan Tatkin. Um, tell us a little bit about your couple's retreats, when the next one is, how uh, our readers can get, our listeners rather can get more information about you and your programs and where they can find uh, you online, et cetera. Well, it's, it's funny because right now I'm calling you from Kripalu where we're doing a couple retreat. Um, we're actually on the last day tomorrow, but in May we go to Costa Rica and that is, we're really thrilled about that Costa Rica. And, uh, and this is a five day retreat, I believe. And, 
longer than that. My wife is here. Longer than that, <laughs> it's going to be fun, and it's in a, it's in paradise. And then we're also going to be back east again uh, at Omega, and then also in mm-hmm. Colorado at Shambhala. So those are the couple retreats where people can come, and they're actually really wonderful. Um, the, if you're a therapist and you want to learn how to be trained in PACT, you go to thepactinstitute.com. We train all over the world. We have uh, faculty um, here in this country and outside of this country. It's a great training program, and, uh, and it's fun. Um, and if you're just interested in finding out more about what I'm talking about, secure functioning, you can go to stantakin.com, and I encourage you to read up um, you know, on this business of secure functioning um, because, again, it's the only relationship that actually will work. Uh, there is no other way to do it but that. Fantastic. Unless, well, by the way, unless unless you're in another culture where you have no choice, in which case, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. But if if you if you want a relationship that is actually truly mutual and collaborative, you got to play it that way. Got it. Well, listen, Doctor Stan, it's been a pleasure to speak to you and to meet you, and uh, thank you so much for this wonderful book and for uh, educating our listeners. Uh, excellent show, and I I really enjoyed uh, your sagely unassuming advice uh, that I think goes straight to the heart. So I really appreciate you, it. And our listeners do too. So uh, best of luck. You, I love what you said. I love what you said. I love the sound of your book. I'm going to read it. And I also like the guys, the guys, uh, what you're doing with men. I, I, I really love that. Oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot to me. So I appreciate that. Okay, Dr. Stan, uh, all the best. Enjoy the weather. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you again at some point. Same to you, Robert. Take care. All right. Be well. And congratulations okay, on your boy in his haircut. <laughs> Thanks so much. Okay. So, folks, that's that's our show for this evening. Dr. Stan Tatkin, really interesting book, Wired for Dating. I suggest you check it out and uh, also go to go to his website and learn more about him and his couples retreats. And uh, you know, a lot of really good advice there. And I think uh, I think you could sum it up and pay attention. And uh, that's what my wife told me, and it's it's working uh, six and a half years later. So uh, I guess I'm off to uh, I'm on a good path. But uh, Dr. Stan is a terrific guest, and I urge you to uh, check out this book. It's it's very uh, you know it sounds very scientific, and and it is it's very grounded, but it's it's not difficult to read. It's got good exercises in it, and uh, I think you'll get a lot out of it. So we really appreciate it. So that's our show for this evening. Next week, we've actually got a psychic on, uh, Elizabeth Joyce. She's one of the top psychics in the U.S. She's been on our show once before. She's going to talk about two of her books, and we're also going to take calls if you have one question for her. That will be next Wednesday at 7 p.m., and uh, you're all welcome to call in. So anyhow, uh, I think the biggest thing you can learn in your relationships, and I've talked to a lot of different relationships experts, and uh, I think Dr. Stan talked about it a lot, is really be mindful, be present, be conscious, and pay attention. Because when men and women can be at their best, guys, guys, that's our credo. Everybody wins. So uh, better men, better world, guys, guys.